Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, and I sure do hope you do this morning, let me encourage you to turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 4. Now, as you're looking that up, let me just remind you again that if you have someone in here with you, other than your husband or wife, that you don't want to hear this message, you probably need to take them somewhere right now, whether it be Northside Kids, whether it be Northside Kids Junior. You need to take them somewhere this morning. Now, for you who are visiting for the first time, I want to just let you know we're in the midst of a series on Song of Solomon, which is all about love and sex and intimacy within the boundaries of marriage. And so, if you're here for the first time, just understand we are in the midst of this series. Uh, for those of you who have this idea that, that sex is something dirty or sex is something that's to be avoided or it's shameful, you haven't read God's Word. If you're here and you think that, that God doesn't speak about sex, you simply haven't read God's Word because this book, this entire book is all about sex and all about intimacy. But I want to remind you of, of something that we find in God's Word that speaks to this. It's in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. You can write this verse down. It says this, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. In other words... If you're here and, and, and there is something that God's Word clearly says and yet you think that it is dirty or it is evil or it is wicked, it's not that thing that is dirty or evil and wicked. It's your mind that's dirty, that's evil, that's wicked. Now last week, Steve walked us through the wedding ceremony and he talked all about what a a biblical wedding a godly wedding is supposed to look like he told us about some of the factors that involved in a godly wedding but today I want us to see the honeymoon and I want us to see beyond now again let me just say for those of you who are feeling a little awkward right now think how you would feel if you weren't sitting in your seat you were standing up here and you were having to look at everybody. When I was talking to my son this week about the message and we were outlining it, and there, he's preaching the exact same thing in his words at the West Campus, but he said, I sure am glad we're not doing the video anymore on days like today. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, how, how our children have this idea that their parents don't enjoy this thing that we call sex. My wife told me that she was going to visit the venue today. And if she was in here for the 1045 service, she said, I'm not sitting on the front row. I guess she's afraid that if I make eye contact with her, something will happen. I don't know. But today we're going to be talking about this thing that happens after the wedding. And I vividly remember our wedding. I remember all of the little details about our wedding. I, I remember the reception. I remember how I was ready to get out of that reception immediately. 
But for the sake of my wife, I didn't. I honored her and I respected that reception. But when we got out, we hurried out. I remember as we were running to our car, back then they still threw rice at you. And there was this one lady that she was just pelting me with the rice. That rice felt like missiles being launched against my skin. Well, we made it to our car rather unscathed, and and we began to drive to the place that we were going to on that first night of our honeymoon. But before we went 10 miles, I had to stop at a McDonald's. My wife will never let me forget that. She said, we just ate all this food, and you're stopping at a McDonald's. I said, babe, I need my energy. And so we stopped at McDonald's. I got a couple of burgers, and then we headed on to our hotel for our first night. We went to our room. We were unpacking our luggage, and we locked our keys in the car. So here I am. I'm just ready to get inside, and our keys are locked in the car. Fortunately, the truck was open, so I I went through the trunk. I pushed the back seat out, and I climbed through the trunk into the back seat, got our keys, and we finally made it into our hotel room. We had gotten a room that had a whirlpool tub, and I was looking forward to that whirlpool tub. It didn't work. (laughs) And then we looked up, and there were mirrors on the ceiling. Now, now that is is as far as I'm going to go with you. But let me just share with you that I enjoyed our wedding. But I loved our honeymoon. You see, the wedding was when we committed to one another. The honeymoon is where we celebrated that commitment to one another. I often say in premarital counseling sessions that God gives a couple sex as a wedding gift. But he tells us that that gift should never, it should never be opened until the wedding night. You see, sex is is like the icing on a cake. You don't have to have icing to have a cake. But the icing sure does make the cake better. And what I've discovered is most men, they like a lot of icing. Now, someone said it this way. The bedroom is the thermometer. The marriage is the thermostat. The bedroom reveals the temperature of the marriage. Now, when it comes to biblical marriage, when it comes to godly sex, great sex, the Bible teaches us that that the pattern is fun, free, frequent sex between a man and a woman who are married. Let me say that again. The Bible pattern is fun sex, free sex, frequent sex, between a man and a woman who are married. I want you to listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 3. It says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife 
should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, did you hear what God's Word says about sex? It says that we should give ourselves to one another. And it says the only time that we shouldn't do that is when we have mutually agreed not to do it for the purpose of prayer, for the purpose of getting closer and becoming more intimate with God. And it says even there, you are only to do that for a limited time so that we will never, ever fall to sin as we lack self-control. So as we look at the book of Song of Solomon, particularly chapter 4 through chapter 7, we see some truths about great sex, about godly sex. Because understand, uh, up to chapter 4, both Solomon and Shulamite were sex-free. They may have thought about sex. They may have dreamed about sex. We, we talked about that already. But physically, they kept themselves pure until that wedding day. And, and as we look at these chapters, there are four truths that, that I want to give you that I believe really can help you have great sex But not only great sex, godly sex. Now, here's the first thing. If you want to have great sex, godly sex, it needs to be exclusive sex. Let me say that again. If you want to have great sex and godly sex, it must be exclusive sex. Now, look at Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to go back to verse 1 in a few minutes, but, but I want to start at verse 12. This is Solomon speaking, and he says this to Shulamite. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Now, the Living Bible says it this way. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Now, in Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 8, through chapter 5, verse 1, that word my appears 20 different times. You see, Shulamite had listened to the word of God concerning sexual purity. She had saved herself for Solomon, and Solomon appreciated that. You see, she was not a public park. She was his and his alone. The Bible says that she was a garden locked up. She was a spring enclosed. She was a sealed fountain. All of these things have to do with privacy and exclusivity. Now let me say before I go any further. If some of you lost that purity, I'm here to tell you that even though you may not have gone or you may not be able to go into your wedding night a virgin partner... 
You can go into your wedding night a pure partner and a forgiven partner. And so if that's where you are, you need to ask God right now to forgive you and cleanse you and make you whole and and make you pure. And you heard me share a couple of weeks ago that that if you're already married and you went into your relationship unpure, then you and your spouse together need to go before God and ask his forgiveness. Because we discover that this is not something that we take lightly. Sexual sin is a big deal before God. Now, is it worth it, young men, young Ladies, to keep yourself pure for your wedding night, absolutely, it's worth it. And I want you to know that if you lose someone because you're not willing to bend on that, and you're not willing to break your vow and your commitment to God, then that person wasn't worth having at all. Now today, in our society, there are some that have this idea that before you get married, you need to to make sure that you're sexually compatible. And we hear about that, we, we read about that, we hear people talking about that, but I want to tell you something. Compatibility is a deception of the enemy that robs a couple of intimacy. Our enemy tells us you need to know in advance whether you are sexually compatible, but God says you learn together. Here's what I know. If a man goes into a relationship to please his wife and a woman goes into the relationship to please her husband, those two are compatible. And I want you to know this is one of the reasons that porn is so bad because it causes us to compare ourselves to other people. And the reality is porn is not A reality. And I know today that that men struggle with that more than women. And men, I want you to look at me. If you were trying to bring porn into your relationship, stop it. Repent. Ask God's forgiveness. Come clean before God. Ladies, if you have bought into a lie from your husband that this is okay... Hear me right now, it is not. And you need to come clean before God. You want great sex? Then I'm here to tell you that great sex is exclusive sex. It's when you give yourself only to your husband or your wife. You don't need to practice in advance. Sex is one of those things that that the practice is the main event. And can I tell you, as a married man who has been married for 32 years, boy, it's fun practicing. It's fun. And so great sex, godly sex, is exclusive sex. Here's the second thing we learn in these chapters. Great sex, godly sex, takes preparation. Now, we call that foreplay. I want you to listen to what the Word of God says. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, You are beautiful, my darling, beyond, beautiful beyond words. Your, 
Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Gilead. That probably won't work today, men. Your teeth are as white as sheep, recently shorn and freshly washed. She, she doesn't have dead breath. Your smile is flawless, each tooth matched with its twin. She's not from Mississippi. Just kidding. <laughs> your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranates. And by the way, pomegranates were an aphrodisiac. Behind your veil, your neck is as beautiful as the Tower of David, jeweled with the shields of a thousand heroes. Your breast, oh, this is where it gets, it, it gets, it, it gets kind of hot. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Come down from Mount Ammon and from the peaks of Sinar and Hermon, where the lions have their dens and leopards live among the hills. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrance than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. Now, as Solomon and Shulamite find themselves alone for the first time. Solomon exercises both wisdom and love for his wife. He doesn't go into his honeymoon ready to pounce on her like a prey. But he begins preparing her. And the first thing that he does is he tells her that she is beautiful. She is beautiful even beyond words. He is letting her know that, that she is more than a piece of flesh or a sex object to be used to fulfill his needs. She is the love of his life. And she is his standard of beauty. Uh, that's another reason why we don't cohabitate. That's another reason why we don't have sex before marriage. That's another reason why we don't look at pornography. You don't want to create another standard of beauty. Because listen to me, men, your wife is your standard of beauty. That is a biblical principle. And notice something. Solomon doesn't begin by touching her he begins by talking to her. You see, sex for a woman begins in the mind. He is making love to her with his words. You see, a woman is not like a man. It's been said that, that men are like microwaves. Women are like crockpots. And what I like to say is men are like light switches. Women are like crockpots. And what I mean by that is this. You go into a room and the light switches off. You turn it on, it comes on immediately. Can I tell you that's how a man is? A man can be outside cutting the grass. He is all sweaty and stinky and smelly. But he comes inside and he sees you in front of the oven, bent over, putting something into that oven. Let me tell you, he's ready. 
He doesn't need preparation. He's ready. But women aren't like that. Women are like crock pots. You turn them on in the morning, and by the end of the night, you've got a fully cooked meal. But it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time. It takes preparation. Someone said it this way. They said, if women had the sex drives of men, we would never get anything done. And if men had the sex drives of women, we wouldn't have a population problem. You see, men and women are different. We are different in how we prepare. We are different in in our desire for sex. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. Women get ready for sex by hearing. Men get ready for sex by seeing. Tommy Nelson said, to a great extent, a wife thinks and feels about herself the way her husband leads her to think and feel. Did you get that? A woman thinks and feels about herself the way her husband leads her to think and feel about herself. And so a man must learn to touch his wife's heart through her ears. Now, on the other hand, virtually all men are visual, with the exception of of dead men. Jim Henry, who was the pastor at First Baptist Orlando, said one time that he was at a meeting with with some of his deacons, and they had older men and younger men, and, and they were just talking about how to live a pure and godly life. And one of the younger men looked at one of the older men who was over 80 years old, but he was a man that loved Jesus and, and had been just a, a, a stalwart in First Baptist Orlando. And he, he looked at that older 80-year-old man and he said, Brother so-and-so, when do you ever get to that problem or that time where, where you're not turned on to a woman by looking at her? That 80-plus-year-old man said, well, I don't know, but when I get there, I'll let you know. (laughs) You see, here's what you need to understand. Men never change. Now, it may take a while for their, their bodies to catch up with their minds, but understand men are wired so that they are turned on visually. On the other extreme, only 25% of women are visual. And so if you are a visual woman, then you understand what a man goes through. Now, now here's what I believe the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God commends a visually generous wife and God commends a verbally generous husband. Now, as we read through this passage, we discover Solomon praising eight different parts of her body. And it's obvious that that she is now undressed. This lets me know that flannel and footy pajamas are of the devil. Let me give you two words. Victoria's Secret. And let me tell you what Victoria's Secret is. Sexy. Slinky. See-through, silky, that's Victoria's secret. And so Shulamite is is allowing her husband to enjoy her body. And, And as Solomon begins, I want you to notice something. He is mesmerized by her face. 
And he camps out at her faith. USA Today did a survey that asked men what was the first thing they noticed about their wife. 39% said their eyes. 25% said their smile. Only 14% said their body. Understand the overwhelming majority of men, the very first thing they noticed about their bride was something about their face. With me, it was my wife's eyes. She had these puppy dog eyes. And you've heard that phrase, batting your eyes. I mean, she batted her eyes and she captured my heart. And as Solomon is, is sitting there and, and he is undressing her, he is mesmerized by her eyes. And then he goes through and he begins talking about her body. And in verse 5 and 6, he, he stops at her breast. And he says, her breasts are like young deer. Now, what are young deer like? They're playful. They're pretty. I mean, you, you, just, you just want to go up and pet them. And, and that's what Solomon is saying there. Now, I know that embarrasses some of you. But you need to understand that's what Solomon is saying here. After extensive study, I've discovered what it takes to make a woman ready for sex. You want me to give it to you? Let me give it to you. Here's what it takes to get a woman ready for sex, for love. You praise her, you pamper her, you compliment her, you support her, you cuddle her, you hug her, you protect her, you humor her, you accept her, you respect her, you listen to her, you hear her, you snuggle with her, you charm her, you brag about her, you help her out, you commit to her, you take her places, you buy her things, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, you rub her feet, you massage your shoulders, you light the candles, you dim the lights, you turn on the music, you turn off the TV. And when you do that, maybe, just maybe, your wife is ready for loving. Now, women, let me tell you what it takes to get your husband ready for sex. Show up naked. That's all it takes. Men and women are completely different. And so here is Shulamite, and, and now she is absolutely naked, and, and Solomon can hardly contain himself. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. That's not French kissing. That's Hebrew kissing. I mean, the Hebrews came up with it long before the French did. But can I say something to you? For you that aren't married, listen to me. This kind of kissing, listen to me, you're not going to like this. You think I'm a prude. But this kind of kissing is very intimate. This kind of kissing is a prelude to sex. You say, no, it's not. Well, let me just say that every man that kisses a girl this way, he may, he may know when to put on the brakes. But he don't want to put on the brakes. And so you need to be very careful, young people, in what you do before you're married because it's very difficult to put on the brakes. Then we see her smell. 
And, and Solomon begins to praise her smell, her sin, and, and the perfume she's wearing. And, and, and let me just say to you, God created us with five senses. And I believe that God did that for a reason. And, and he wants us to, to be able to enjoy all five of those senses as we become intimate with our spouse. And so great sex, godly sex is exclusive. It, it takes preparation. Third, it is mutually enjoyable. Now, beginning in verse 13, it becomes very intimate. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not going to explain some of these verses. If you want commentary, you can email me. But I think as we read them, you can probably figure them out for yourself. Listen to what it says. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices. Henna with nard, nard, and saffron, fragrant calamus, and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, and every other lovely spice. You are a garden fountain, a well of fresh water streaming down from Lebanon's mountains. Awake, and this is Shulamite speaking, awake north wind. Rise up south wind. Blow on my garden. Spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruits. I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather myrrh with the spices and eat honeycomb with the honey. I drink wine with my milk. And then listen to what it says. O lover and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. God bless the reading of his word. Now, I want you to turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 7. And let me just set this up, if I may. In chapter 5, Solomon and Shulamite had a little spat. Solomon had evidently been working late. He came in late, and, and in those days... Even when you were married and in love, you had different chambers. You had different rooms you slept in. And, and Solomon came home and, and he thought about Shulamite. And he, he was ready to have some fun. And he knocked on her door. But Shulamite said, what are you doing knocking on my door so late? I've already taken my makeup off. I've already put on my bedclothes. I was already asleep. Go to bed. I've got a headache. Not tonight. And she kind of blew Solomon off. And Solomon, he, he, he didn't fuss. He didn't get angry. He didn't storm away in a tirade like many of us little kid boys will do. He walked away. And as he walked away, the Spirit of God began to work on Shulamite's heart. And she realized what she had done. She realized that, that she had rejected her husband. And so she went out to find him. And in chapter 7, what we see is, is make-up sex. <laughs> in chapter 4, we see honeymoon sex. In chapter 7, we see make-up sex. They have had this little spat... Shulamite realizes, I should have never done that. And they come back together, they talk it through, and man, they have a wonderful time together. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 1. Again, this is Solomon speaking. And he says, how beautiful are your sandal feet, O queenly maiden. 
In chapter 4, he starts with her head. In chapter 7, he starts with her feet. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a skilled craftsman. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Just Let me just say, go look that word up, navel, in, um, in a Hebrew dictionary. Between your thighs lies a mound of wheat bordered with lilies. Your breasts are like two falls, twin falls of a gazelle. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the sparkling pools in Hezbon by the gate of bath Rabban. Your nose is as fine as the Tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel. And the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by his tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, how full of delight. You are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like as clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters, and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best of wine flowing gently over lips and teeth. And, and, I, and let me just say, I think this is where married couples need to be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. Now, now let me just say to you here what we learn from these two passages. Sex is designed by God to be exciting, fulfilling, and unifying. And these two passages, if you read them and strut it, study them, they are extremely graphic. But there are several things that are obvious. One, Great sex, godly sex, is freely given and it's freely enjoyed. Nothing is held back. You see, both Solomon and Shulamite are giving and receiving. They are both inviting and initiating. They are both exploring and expressing. Second, there is communication. You see them telling one another what they like. You see, great sex not only begins with communication, it continues with communication. And communication is not only talking, communication is listening. Third, God wants both men and women to enjoy godly sex. As a matter of fact, God designed us in such a way that sexual climax is the height of physical pleasure. God did that. Not evolution, not chance, God. Now I want you to take a moment and look at the last part of chapter 5, verse 1. Now if you have your Bibles open, depending on the, the translation you have there, it says above that phrase that the young women of Jerusalem are saying this. But this doesn't seem to be the case. Because evidently, whoever is speaking, and in Song of Solomon 5 verse 1, this latter part is there as a visitor on this honeymoon night. And let me just say, it would be weird if your friends were there, and they have observed, and they have seen everything that is going on. And so who is this? that is giving this commentary in, in chapter 5, verse 1. Well, here's what I believe, and, and here's what many scholars believe. It is God. 
And God is looking down on Solomon, and he's looking down on Shulamite, and he is encouraging his children to enjoy the gift he has given them. Now, with that said, let me give you several things that will help you in this area. First of all, you have got to make sex a priority in your marriage. That means that you have to make the time. Second, stay emotionally intimate. Great sex, godly sex, is not just physical. It is emotional and even more than that, it is spiritual. And that's why I believe with all my heart, and I want you to hear me, the people that enjoy sex the most and find the most pleasure in sex is not those people who participate in porn and, and move from relationship to relationship. It is those people that love Jesus with all of their heart and they are committed to their spouse. And because they are committed, they give to one another physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They become one. Third, it, it takes talking to one another and listening to one another. Fourth, you've got to focus on giving rather than receiving. Great sex, godly sex is not about what you get out of it. It's about what you give to your lover. And when you focus on giving yourself to them, you will discover that you get everything you want. And then finally, you hold nothing back. And that's tough for some people. Because we've been taught that, that sex is not a gift from God. That it's gross, that it's dirty. It's something that we have to tolerate. And yet God says that it's a gift. So great sex, godly sex is exclusive. Great sex, godly sex takes preparation. Great sex, godly sex is to be mutually enjoyed by both. But let me give you a fourth thing. Great sex, godly sex is experimental. Now look at chapter 7, verses 10 and following. This is Shulamite speaking. And she says, I am my lover... And he claims me as his own. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. Let us get up early and go to the vineyards to see if the grapevines have budded, if the blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates have bloomed. There I will give you my love. There the mandrake gives off their fragrance and the finest fruits are at our door. New delights as well as old which I have saved for you, my lover. Now, this is Shulamite speaking. And Shulamite has, spent, has planned a weekend away, a bed and breakfast getaway. And as she is telling Solomon what she has planned, she begins to tell him. She says, oh, there are some delights waiting for you. And then she says this, there are some old delights that you've enjoyed. And then listen to what she says. There are some new delights. That you haven't even experienced yet. Now what is Shulamite saying? Well what she is saying is. In a relationship where a husband and a wife. 
are mutually committed to one another and they are exclusively involved with one another, you are forever growing and maturing and developing in your relationship. And you're saying that you never become boring or stale in your relationship. You discover new things and and fresh things. And, And ladies, listen to me. What we see here is Shulamite being the initiator. Now, now you may have been told that you're never to initiate. And I don't know where you got that from, but you didn't get it from the Bible. It's okay for you to initiate. And, and let me tell you what. If you want to make your husband happy, you initiate. And you initiate with some of the old tried and true and And you bring on some new. And you will make your husband happy. Now that raises a question. What can we do? I mean if Shulamite says we've got new things and we've got old things. What is appropriate and and what is inappropriate? Because let me say to you there are inappropriate things. And we don't need to go into all of these right now. And again if if you want my opinion, you can email me. But, but porn is always inappropriate. It is never appropriate. And you need to understand that. So, so what is appropriate? Well, I think there's some questions we need to ask. First of all, is it beneficial? Does it help you and your spouse love one another more? Because that's what sex is all about. Sex is not about releasing your sexual tension. Sex is about intimacy with the person you love. And so you have to ask yourself, is this beneficial for creating intimacy? Second, you need to ask yourself, does this bring guilt or does this bring shame? I mean, if something brings guilt or shame, then you should never Do it. And let me just say to you, and I know this is maybe our older crowd by average, but let me just say to you, men, if you ever try to get your wife to do something that that makes her feel guilty or shameful, shame on you. You're not a man of God. You're living like a man of this world. Third, Does it make me feel pure or does it make me feel dirty? Because understand, again, sex is designed between two people who love one another and love the Lord. And if it is something that God designed, then it should never make us feel dirty. It should never make us feel wicked. And so if it is, we need to ask ourselves, what is the problem? And so as you're experimenting together, you need to ask yourselves questions. You see, here's what you need to understand. Sex is God's idea. He's the one who came up with it. He's the one who designed our bodies. He's the one who gave us a manual, Song of Solomon, that if we put into practice, we can have great sex, godly sex. But understand Just like marriage 
is a picture of our relationship as Christians with Jesus. You do understand that, don't you? The marriage that we have between our wife or between our husband is to picture to the world the relationship that we have with Christ. And so just as our marriages picture our relationship with Christ, now I know this sounds weird, but our sexual relationship with our spouse is to picture our intimacy with Christ. And when we experience that sexual intimacy with one another, we should be able to come to the end of that time, look one another in the eye, and be able to pray together and thank God for this wonderful gift that he has given us. But I want you to understand something as we close. You see, just as we give ourselves to our spouse unconditionally in sex, the picture is that we are to give ourselves to our Lord unconditionally in service. Because if our sexual intimacy with our spouse is to be a picture of our intimacy with our Lord, then it's all about not what we get out of it, But once we're in love with him, what we give to him because he first loved us. And so what I would challenge you with today is twofold. One, if you're married and you're a believer, enjoy the gift that God has given you. Sex. Enjoy it guilt-free Enjoy it frequently. Enjoy it passionately. But the second thing I would say is this. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, then then you're really missing. You're missing the picture that sex gives. And that is as we love our Lord, we give ourselves to him completely. And so if you're here and you've never given yourself completely to the Lord, and I know, I know, I know, I know that this is strange in a message about sex that we talk about giving your life to Jesus, but, but let me tell you, everything that God created points to our relationship with him. And if you're here and, and you don't have that relationship, you're missing what God created you for. God didn't create you for sex. Sex is just a gift on this journey. God created you for a relationship with him. If you don't know him, you haven't given your life to him, you haven't completely surrendered to him, then I want to challenge you today to give your heart and life to him. And so I want you to bow your head with me, and I want you to close your eyes, and with every head bowed and with every eye closed, if you're here and You've never given your life to Jesus. I I want you right here, right now, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you to pray this prayer and surrender all to Jesus. Dear Jesus, I come to you today acknowledging my sin. I've lived independent of you. I've tried to be my own God. Forgive me. 
I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe you love me. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Right now, I'm giving you my life. Come in. Take control. From this moment on, I'm surrendered to you. I want to serve you. Thank you for hearing me, Jesus. Amen.